Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, 1 June. Billy Dodds named Inverness Caledonian Thistle head coach on two-year deal. Report by Mark Hendry. Billy Dodds has been named head coach at Inverness Caledonian Thistle. The former Rangers striker previously worked as interim assistant manager alongside Neil McCann following John Robertson's departure on compassionate grounds. The latter has now gone upstairs as sporting director and Dodds moved to head coach. Dodds has previously worked as an assistant manager at Dundee, Queen of the South, Dundee United and Highland rivals Ross County. Speaking to the club website, Chief Executive Scott Gardner revealed his delight at the appointment and explained the process to supporters. He said, I am very pleased to be able to confirm Billy as head coach after a rigorous interview process last week and I am also grateful to Billy for entering into that process in good faith. While Billy was always our initial favourite for the position, given his input and showing during the last six weeks or so of the season, I explained to him that we would be doing the club and the fans a disservice if we did not go through the process of first inviting applications and then hosting face-to-face interviews. Billy understood this instantly and agreed that we would be correct to go down that route, confident in his own ability to come through the process. Very helpfully, and in the face of us speaking to another three of the excellent candidates who made up our shortlist, he remained the best man for the job at the end of that process and will now take up that position with immediate effect. Once again, we'd like to welcome Billy to the club, but on a full-time basis this time and as the head coach. Report by Mark Hendry. Evening Times Sport, 1 June. Nick Roger on golf's silver lining from COVID crisis. The media boycott by Naomi Osaka at the French Open had our tennis writing brethren and sisters in a frightful fankle. When sporty folk embark on an omerta, the lack of quotes tends to be greeted with the kind of brow-mopping harumphing you get with a Nicola Sturgeon update on Glasgow's Level 3 status. While Osaka delivered a personal justification for her retinas, those of us in the golf reporting game probably hadn't batted an eyelid at her cold shouldering of the press.
Many's the time, for instance, we have still managed to chisel 700 words out of nothing from a scowling Colin Montgomery as he thundered past the assembled scribblers like a locomotive with a cow catcher mowing through a herd of dazed cattle. Monty's seething silences would still speak volumes. As for this column, well, it continues to speak nonsense. Golf's popularity in a pandemic. Back in March 2020, when the first coronavirus lockdown kicked in and you were only allowed to stick your head out of the window for a quick gulp of fresh air before returning to your crypt, the suspension of golf was a particular scunner. A year and a bit on, the Royal and Ancient Game has enjoyed such a renaissance, even Michelangelo would struggle to get a tea time. Once restrictions were eased last summer, there was plenty of evidence, both factually and anecdotally, to suggest that golf had found a silver lining amid the coronavirus clouds as the actively starved public stampeded to facilities in scenes akin to the migration of the wildebeest on the Serengeti. Last week's findings of a survey commissioned by the R&D underlined the resurgence. Amid a blizzard of figures and statistics, the report found that on-course adult participation in GB and I had increased by 2.3 million in 2020. Driving range usage doubled. There were increases at par three courses and pitch and putt facilities. The average age of golfers dropped by five years and the number of females increased. As an ideal pursuit for these socially distanced times, golf enjoyed a timely tonic amid the ravages of the pandemic. A crisis tends to focus the mind. It's a bit like sitting down to write this ruddy column. Many clubs have had the opportunity to really assess how they are run and make much needed changes to capitalise on this newfound enthusiasm. After years of complacency, there are plenty of tales of a fresh willingness to adapt, embrace and innovate, to be more accessible, flexible, affordable and indeed affable. Maintaining this interest, when other leisure activities return to pre-Covid prominence, will be a challenge but hopefully golf has stolen something of a march and the opportunities can be grasped. Plenty of downbeat doom and gloom gets written and talked about concerning golf's well-documented historical ills. There is a danger of the self-fulfilling prophecy about it at times. The game though is currently in a wonderfully positive position. Whether it's a 50-year-old Phil Mickelson conjuring a story that transcended the sport with his thrilling United States PGA win. A 14-year-old teeing up in this week's United States Women's Open. Or Watty and Doreen both deciding to take up a membership at their local club, 
due to the game's benefits for body and mind. In the last year, many routine, simple pleasures of everyday life have been taken away, but golf, with a few behavioural health-conscious modifications before, during and after a round, still provided a much-needed antidote and some much-needed escapism from Covid's stifling despair. Hopefully those who found sporting sanctuary with a club in their hand will be encouraged to stick with it. Less is more for open qualifier. Everybody is looking for a more effective way to biff, batter, coax and cajole a dimpled ball about a golf course. Training aids, stroke savers, green books, range finders, gym work, mind gurus, dietitians, profanity, sorcery, prayer, you name it, people will try it. In a game increasingly cluttered by various accoutrements, while players seek constant reassurance instead of committing to the courage of their instincts, it was somewhat refreshing to hear of Yuvik Pagansan's success in the Mizuno Open at the weekend. The 43-year-old from the Philippines won his first title on the Japan Golf Tour and with it a place at July's Open without a caddy and using just 11 clubs. He opted to remove a couple of irons to make his bag lighter to carry. Since there are fewer choices, I can save the trouble of choosing and play easily, said Pagansan, of a more back-to-basics approach. In this game of mind-mangling options, sometimes less is more. Amateur Dramatics Return With schedules obliterated last year, it was nice to see the return of Championship Amateur Golf to the domestic scene over the weekend. Englishman Callan Barrow won the Scottish Open stroke play title at Southerness, while Edinburgh's Hannah Darling joined decorated names like Katrina Matthew and Annika Sorenstam on the St Rule Trophy. Darling will now turn her focus to being top of the class again in the Scottish Women's Amateur Championship at Gullen this weekend. Once she's got three school exams out of the way first, that is. In her player bio, the talented bubbly Darling, who cleaned up in the junior ranks, once stated that she wants to be the best female player in the world. Who said us Scots are doer pessimists? Column by Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, June 1. Scotland's John Fleck tests positive for COVID-19. Report by Mark Hendry. John Fleck has tested positive for COVID-19. The Scotland winger will therefore not travel to Portugal for his country's warm-up friendly against Holland this week. The SFA confirmed the rest of the squad have been retested for the virus, but all returned negative results. 
Fleck will now self-isolate. A statement read, The Scottish FA can confirm that John Fleck has tested positive for COVID-19 at the Scotland national team base camp in La Finca. As a result, he will self-isolate as per Spanish government guidelines and therefore not fly to Portugal for tomorrow's match against the Netherlands. The rest of the squad was retested for COVID-19 and returned negative results today. Report by Mark Hendry. Evening Times Sport, June 1. Danny Wilson insists Glasgow Warriors have nothing to fear ahead of Leinster clash. Report by David Barnes. Glasgow Warriors head coach Danny Wilson believes his team should have nothing to fear when they take on Leinster at Scotston on Friday night. They might be up against the four times European and seven times Pro 14 champions, including this season, whom they have not beaten in the last five meetings between the two sides but the Scotston head coach reckons current form should give his players belief. Warriors recovered from a disastrous start to this Rainbow Cup campaign against Benetton to win three games, against Edinburgh home and away then Dragons away, on the bounce, which has lifted them to joint second in the Northern Conference of the end of season competition. Now they really need a bonus point win from their last pool match and for results elsewhere to go their way in order to finish top of the table and qualify for the final on 19th June. It is a long shot, but given the trials and tribulations his side has faced this season through injury, onerous international call-ups and COVID interruptions, Wilson is keen for his boys to make the most of the opportunity to still be playing meaningful rugby at a point when most other teams are killing time before the summer holidays. He reasoned, The first thing is, we're coming into it in a bit of form and playing some decent rugby. Having three good wins under our belt, confidence is hopefully where it needs to be. I was wondering after coming off two derbies, when you know that emotionally you're going to be very high, whether there was going to be a drop off playing Dragons away last weekend, but I was really pleased because that was probably the most physical performance we have put out. So that shows that emotionally we were in a good place and I think the work ethic was strong. It will have to be the same against Leinster. It's a different animal playing. Leinster, one of the best sides in Europe, whichever side they put out. It's a big challenge, an exciting challenge, here on a fast track on a Friday night. I think it's one that the boys will want to play in. Leinster were knocked out of the Champions Cup by La Rochelle at the start of May lost heavily at home to Munster in round one of the Rainbow Cup in late April, and also suffered a home defeat to Ospreys 
in their final game of their Pro 14 League campaign in mid-March, which doesn't suddenly render them a poor team, but has perhaps dented their air of invincibility. Acknowledged Wilson, with these teams, the myth goes with them, and as soon as you see a fixture against Leinster, your senses perk up, because you know it is a very strong side, with a very good record. But, at the same time, if you look at them the tail end of this season, they have had a couple of results which maybe aren't up to the standard they would want. Sides have beaten them, so I think they are every much beatable, while still respecting that they are a very strong side. We're playing them at home, which again is a bit different, so we'll see. Warriors will also draw encouragement from the way a callow side rallied from the first half sending off of Adam Hastings against Leinster at the RDS back in February to give the hosts a real run for their money before eventually losing 40-21, a scoreline which did not do justice to Glasgow's contribution to that game. Agreed Wilson. With the score at the end of the game, you felt a bit deflated because we'd worked hard to get back into it. At one point it was 28-21, having been 28-7 down at half-time. Then we had a yellow card on top of the red card. And you can't play Leinster with 13 men. No chance. But if you look at that day, Rufus McLean, Ollie Smith and Cole Forbes were our back three. It doesn't get much younger than that going to the RDS and playing Leinster. So that was a big experience for those guys. As I said at the time, we are going to have some pain along the way with this process of blooding youth. But we are also going to get some big learnings which we got for those players that day. For us, we are coming to the end of the season and involved in meaningful games. As I said to the boys today, a lot of other sides are not in meaningful games, but we are. And in the future, that's where we want to be. Thinking about how we jump up another level, rather than tapering off and thinking about jumping on a plane somewhere. We've earned the right to be in meaningful fixtures. So let's go out and perform and really test ourselves. Meanwhile, flanker Fotu Lokotui, who joined the club on an undisclosed contract length in October, will leave Glasgow Warriors this summer to take up a two-year deal with French side again. The Tongan International has made 13 appearances, including five starts, and scored three tries during his time at the club. Report by David Barnes. Evening Times Sport, June 2. Ailey Doyle announces retirement from athletics with poignant farewell to glittering career. Report by Susan Egglestaff. After a glittering career spanning over two decades, Scotland's most decorated track and field athlete, Ailey Doyle, has announced her retirement. 
Doyle is the only Scottish athlete to have won Olympic, World, European and Commonwealth medals. But less than two months out from the Tokyo Olympics, the 400 metres hurtler has hung up her spikes. Doyle gave birth to her son Campbell in January of last year and was targeting a spot in the 4x400 metres relay team for the Tokyo Olympics last summer. The postponement of the Games as a result of the pandemic gave the 34-year-old more time to regain her fitness, but her comeback was beset by injury setbacks, the most recent being a torn calf and a broken toe in the space of just a few weeks. So, with the British trials just three weeks away, Doyle has made the decision to call it a day. She said in a statement, Athletics has all my heart, focus and love, but today I announce my retirement as a competitive athlete. I take with me so many amazing memories, but most importantly, I step away happy in the knowledge that this is the right time for me to go. I am not saying it was an easy decision to make, but it was the right one, and I am grateful I got to choose when it happened. Doyle's last competitive appearance was as a member of the silver medal winning relay team at the European Indoor Championships in Glasgow in 2019. But despite having been absent from the competitive arena for over two years, she has remained heavily involved in the sport as a board member of Scottish Athletics and also a trustee of the newly formed Athletics Trust Scotland, a charitable spin-off from Scottish Athletics that will aim to raise funds to boost the sport's reach and impact at grassroots. Doyle's statement continued, The sport has brought me so much more than just medals. I have made lifelong friends, experienced incredible atmospheres, made history and even met my husband because of it. Now we have our wee boy Campbell and so much more to look forward to as a family. I do find it fitting, however, that my last international competition was winning a silver medal in front of a home crowd in Glasgow. Athletics will always hold a special place in my heart and now I get to enjoy it from the other side as a fan. What an adventure it has been and now I look forward to the next one, whatever it may be. Mark Pollard, Head of Performance with Scottish Athletics paid tribute to Doyle saying, it is fitting and hugely appropriate that as Ailey retires from competitive athletes, we say a huge thank you. It is safe to say Ellie has made a massive contribution to our sport. This has been shown via her medals for Team Scotland, as well as GB and NI, countless international circuit appearances and British Championship medals. But over a period of 25 years from coming into the sport at nine, 
it has been about so much more than that. She is a classic example of a youngster coming through the club system at Petrivi AAC and then stepping up the levels and making it to the top of her sport. I would say a huge future of Ellie's career has been her ability to maximise her talent thanks to hard work and dedication. That's a key essence of our sport. Can you be the best version of yourself? We would very much hope she won't be lost to the sport. Ellie already has some background roles with Scottish Athletics and Athletics Trust Scotland and I am certain in the coming months we will explore other possibilities. She has so much experience and knowledge to pass on and we would love to tap into that to help the next generation follow in her footsteps. Report by Susan Egglestaff Evening Times Sport June 2 Andy Robertson admits John Fleck's positive Covid test shows Scotland must remain wary. Report by Matthew Lindsay Andy Robertson last night admitted that John Fleck's positive Covid-19 test has been a timely reminder to members of the Scotland squad to observe strict coronavirus guidelines in the build-up to the Euro 2020 finals. Robertson was disappointed when he learned that Fleck would have to self-isolate for five days and could not play in the friendly against the Netherlands in Portugal tonight. The Sheffield United midfielder had to remain behind in Spain, where Steve Clark's men had been on a training camp since last Thursday, when his compatriots flew to Faroe yesterday. Robertson, who is expected to lead the national side out this evening, was relieved that no more of his teammates were forced into quarantine. However, the Liverpool left-back admitted the development has heightened vigilance among the players ahead of their opening Group D match against the Czech Republic at Hamden on June 14. He said, If you ever need any reminder that this virus is still here, that's it. It obviously, we're disappointed for Flecky being positive and having to stay in his room. But I suppose the lucky thing is that the doctors and the performance guys have followed every protocol. There are no close contacts and no other positive results from the three rounds of testing we have done since then. In a bad situation, we can take some positives. We'll take this one. Flecky will be ready when he gives a negative test and luckily it's happened soon enough that he won't miss the Euros. It just means we'll need to be even more careful the closer we get. The boys are already switched onto it and we just need to make sure we get no other positive tests. It's something that's always in the back of your mind because as a young, fit, healthy player, and Flecky, as far as I'm aware, isn't showing any symptoms. 
it's tough to say you're staying in your room for five days when he probably feels quite healthy. But that is this virus, unfortunately. It doesn't affect some people, but others it does. And we've seen the death toll and the number of people who have been infected. It's so important we take it seriously. We will have to heighten that caution even more the closer we get, because we don't want anyone missing out for something that can hopefully be avoided. The three rounds of testing have been a confidence booster in that there's been no other positives, but we can't take that for granted. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport, June 2 Rangers captain James Tavarney adds to his success. Report by Ian Collin Rangers skipper James Tavarney has earned further recognition following a stunning season after being named in the EA Sports FIFA 21 Team of the Season for the rest of the world. The defender is the second highest rated player at 90 in the ultimate team lineup, which is drawn from countries outside the major leagues in the world. The side also includes a former Celtic defender, Eric Satchenko, who now plays for FC Midland ex-St Johnston keeper Alan Manners, who joined Shamrock Rovers in 2018, and one-time Hibs loan striker Jamie McLaren, who recently became Melbourne City's record goalscorer. Tavarney is the first Rangers captain in a decade to lift the Premiership trophy and his performances landed him the PFA Scotland Player of the Year accolade. And with an incredible 95 pace rating, 87 shooting, 90 passing and dribbling, 87 defence and 94 physical, the 29-year-old has now also been honoured in the virtual world. Report by Ian Collin Evening Times Sport, June 2 Para-Athletics Ross Patterson aiming for podium in Poland Report by Graeme McPherson Those who insist you should never meet your heroes clearly do not idolise Richard Whitehead. When Ross Patterson lines up at this week's European Para-Athletics Championships, looking to improve on the silver medal he earned in Berlin three years ago, he will do so with the advice of his friend and rival ringing in his ears. Whitehead is a double Paralympic champion, still competing at the age of 44 but has always found time to lend support to those making their way up through the ranks. That means the world to Patterson, who got his photo taken with Whitehead as a 14-year-old and who at the age of 22 has his sights set on becoming T38 European champion 
in both the 100 metres and 400 metres in Poland. I was at a race recently with Richard Whitehead, who's a double Paralympic gold medalist, revealed the Paisley athlete. He was my idol, and I got a picture with him when I was 14. To be on the same team with him in Berlin three years ago, and now here in Poland, is incredible. He is such an inspiration to me, and so kind. He was speaking to me before my race at Gateshead recently and asking how I was. He's such a leader and sets a real example on and off the track. We were a big team in Berlin. There were 51 of us and all spread out. But he stayed to watch my race and we got the bus back to the hotel together. And he sat and spoke to me for at least 45 minutes congratulating me and saying that was just the start of my journey. He just spoke to me all about his experiences and hoped I might be able to learn from him. And that was amazing. He's a good guy. I was telling him about St Mirren as well, and he said, Who? So I had told him to look it up. He's a big Spurs fan, so hopefully he'll pick us as his Scottish team. After such a disrupted year, Patterson doesn't want to place too much expectation on his shoulders, but hopes his best performance could yet see him top the podium. I got a wee taste of it at the recent Diamond League event, putting on my GB vest, added the Red Star athlete, who also trains with the esteemed Kilbarkin AC. It just felt right. I'm really looking forward to competing again, but it's going to be a tough event. There are a few athletes who have been reclassified as T38, so it's going to be difficult, but I'm up for it. I'm just hoping for the best. I'm going out there with an open mind and will look to run as fast as I can. I'd love to get the gold, but it's a tough class and we'll need to see what happens on the day. Getting the silver medal in Berlin on my GB debut was unbelievable, but I want more now, so bring it on. This is my biggest event of the year by far. I've been training a year and a half for this, as it was meant to be going ahead last year. With new people coming into my category, I wasn't sure if I was going to get selected, so that was a massive confidence boost. The Great Britain selectors said they saw the fight in me to have medal potential, and that was great to hear. Patterson is one of seven Scots competing this week under tighter than normal parameters that mean his mum and dad will be watching at home on the Channel 4 stream rather than in the stadium with him. He said, it's a lot different under COVID restrictions as you're, as you're spending a lot more time in your hotel room. But I wouldn't want to risk anything, so that's fine by me. I'm quite chilled on trips anyway. One of the Great Britain coaches said he couldn't believe how laid back I am most of the time. 
When it's race time, I don't like to get sucked into conversations. I just don't want to get sidetracked ahead of a race. I need to stay in the zone. Once I've got the shades on, there's no going back. It's just full focus and ready to go. Report by Graham McPherson. Evening Times Sport, June 2. Six more Scotland stars do not travel for Holland friendly after John Fleck positive COVID test. Report by Mark Hendry. Scotland have been rocked by COVID chaos this week after six players did not travel to Portugal following John Fleck's positive test. John McGinn, Nathan Patterson, Stephen O'Donnell, Che Adams, David Marshall and Grant Hanley were all deemed by the SFA doctors to have been in close contact with Fleck. None of the six have travelled, Timesport understands, to Portugal for the Euro 2020 warm-up clash against Netherlands this evening. It is believed to be a precaution at this time, as following more tests undertaken by the squad in the wake of Fleck's diagnosis did not show any more positive tests. It comes after we told how Fleck of Sheffield United would be forced to self-isolate after his tests came back, showing he had the killer virus. Report by Mark Hendry Evening Times Sport June 3 Alex McLeish says Steve Clark is a master of improvisation. He'll need to be if COVID-19 strikes at Euro 2020. I was on a League Managers Association podcast in aid of Prostate Cancer UK earlier this week with Chris Coleman and Stevie Koppel and we were discussing what managers would do if there are any COVID-19 outbreaks during Euro 2020. The games will go ahead, even if 13 out of the 26 players in a country's squad have to enter quarantine as a consequence of a positive coronavirus test. A match can be played if there are just 12 fit outfield players and a goalkeeper. If you wanted to put a positive spin on that, you could say that if Scotland keep all their best players fit and their opponents lose all their star men, then Steve Clark's team could win the tournament. Seriously though, it is a deeply concerning prospect for Stevie and his fellow managers. How on earth do they deal with it? It will be the first time in their careers they have had to grapple with anything like it, no matter how experienced they are. We saw what could happen yesterday when six Scotland players Che Adams, Grant Hanley, David Marshall, John McGinn, Stephen O'Donnell and Nathan Patterson were ruled out of the pre-tournament friendly against the Netherlands in Portugal because they had been in close proximity to John Fleck. I know to a degree what Stevie had to put up with yesterday. I remember we lost a lot of players for the Vital Nations League game against Albania in Skoda in 2018 
and Callum Patterson had to come in and play it right back. He had played as a number 10 for a season and a half with Cardiff and had done well and scored goals, but he had previous experience playing there with Hearts. It could have been a shock to the system for him, but he coped well. I had actually intended to play Kieran Tierney at right back in that game. He had excelled there under Gordon Strachan, including in a win over Lithuania away when the back four and the goalkeeper were all lefties. And I had spoken to him about it. He was up for it, but he wasn't available for the game. It worked out all right though. Callum rose to the occasion superbly. But I know it can easily go either way when you lose key men. In our opening Euro 2020 qualifier against Kazakhstan away in 2019, I lost Andy Robertson and then Kieran Tierney, so I had to draft Graeme Shinney in at left back. He had previously played in that position for Inverness Caledonian Thistle and Aberdeen. We hoped it would be a seamless transition, but it obviously didn't go to plan and we ended up losing 3-0. There are going to be a lot of unprecedented decision-making for managers at the Euro 2020 finals. Normally you have got the strongest squad available to you at a major tournament, but in the coming weeks I am sure the pandemic is going to strike on a regular basis and coaches will be left with five or six major decisions. It will be a real challenge. I feel for them. It is obviously going to be a real privilege to be at a major tournament like this, but they will have to face tests they have never encountered previously in their careers. Having said that, the guys who got the nod to start against the Netherlands last night, Liam Cooper and Jack Henry at centre-half, James Forrest at wing-back, David Turnbull at Playmaker had a chance to stake a claim for a place against the Czech Republic in the opening Group D match at Hamden on June 14. I know that is what Stevie will have been hoping for. Still, it wasn't ideal. During my second spell in charge of Scotland, I did a fair bit of experimenting. We didn't have the Celtic players for the summer tour of Peru and Mexico because they had played a lot of games that season. That gave us a chance to look at a few guys in friendly games. I also gave a few youngsters a chance. But now that a wee bit of success has come to us, first by beating Albania and Israel, to get the Euro 2020 playoff spot, then by winning the final. We have got a pretty settled squad. Steve has done well to keep the same group of guys together. There haven't been many call-offs. You tend to find that when you are about to qualify for a major tournament. Stevie has had a good nucleus of players who have been able to raise the bar to a new level. He was able to field a pretty strong starting lineup in the Estadio Algarve last night as well. 
He had a lot of experience in there, as well as youth in David Turnbull. But when you lose your best players, it becomes more difficult, no doubt about it. When we topped our Nations League group and got the playoff place, Stephen Fletcher came in and made all the difference. He didn't feature subsequently, but he was instrumental in those back-to-back victories after players dropped out with injury and illness. I don't think we have got the strength and depth we need to cope with this number of call-offs in Euro 2020. What we do have, though, is a coach who can improvise well. Steve has proved that in the past, not least in his two seasons at Kilmarnock. That may well be invaluable at Euro 2020 if there are further complications with COVID-19, says Alex McLeish. Evening Time Sport, June 3. Adam Hastings preparing for final week as Glasgow star. Report by Stuart Bathgate. As he prepares to leave Glasgow for Gloucester, Adam Hastings is convinced that his time as a warrior has been the making of him both as a player and as a person. Now 24, the standoff signed from Bath back in 2017, spending his first season as an understudy to Finn Russell and getting some valuable game time at club level with Curry Chieftains. Once Russell left for Racing 92, however, Hastings emerged as a key member of the team, making the playmaker's role his own. More recently, the emergence of Ross Thompson and his own impending departure for England have seen Hastings move to full-back, the position he is likely to fill in tomorrow's Rainbow Cup match at home to Leinster. If Glasgow win and other results go their way, they could progress to the final. But if they lose, their season will be over. Either way, it will be Hastings' last outing at Scotston. Injuries and a suspension have restricted his appearances for both the Warriors and Scotland during the campaign, but he is currently fully fit, feeling fresh, and looking forward to that final match at home. He said, I suppose the emotions will only probably hit me on game day, or just after when the final whistle goes. But I found myself in bed last night thinking about this week and it being my last one at the club, and it got me thinking about the last three years and how special they've been for me. The amazing friends I've made, and how much I'm going to miss them when I go down south. I am a different player, and a different person as well. In just three years I have grown up a lot and matured, on and off the field. I came up here as a boy, and feel like I'm leaving as a man. As a player, I felt I made huge strides under former coach Dave Rennie. This year hasn't gone the way I would have liked in terms of playing time, but I have focused on other areas like gym work, 
but overall I owe where I am now to this club. In particular, Hastings believes he is now a more confident and composed 10 than he was a few years ago, and that his decision-making has improved significantly as a result. I suppose the biggest thing is just my big game temperament, he said, when asked how he thought he had improved since returning to Scotland. I feel that when I first came to Glasgow, I was very nervous playing in front of crowds. Even halfway through my first season, I still got very nervous. I'd say at the start of my Glasgow career, I'd be scared to take risks. Whereas now if a ball's on, I'll throw it. Or if it's on to carry through a hole, I'll go for it. I've got a lot less fear now than I used to. I think that's the biggest difference. And I think game awareness is a big one. When to kick, when to run, when to take it to the line, when to play it a little bit earlier. Rennie was huge for me in that department. After every game he'd sit with me and go through every single one of my clips and talk about things and we'd discuss it. So from that point of view, just a recognition of momentum when you're on the back foot, when you're on the front foot, when you want to turn teams, just kind of the general stuff at 10. The closest Hastings came to winning an honour with the Warriors was the 2019 Pro 14 final at Celtic Park when they lost narrowly to Leinster. Tomorrow's match may not be of quite the same magnitude, but if it leads on to bigger things, it could come to feel almost as significant. He continued, That final, when we lost to Leinster, still stings. I think if we could have won that, I would have been very content leaving. I've still got a bit of a bad taste in my mouth about that one. Any silverware is good, and what better way to end my career at Glasgow and send a lot of other good blokes off than with a bit of silverware. Whether Glasgow get to the final or not, Hastings will have little time to rest this summer, as he is in the Scotland squad for the games against England A, Romania and Georgia. Not that he wants a rest. After those months on the sideline through injury, he believes several more games over the summer will stand him in good stead when he starts the next chapter of his career. He concluded, Any chance to pull on a Scotland jersey, I would jump at. I want to get as much game time as possible before joining my new club, so I can be match fit and my confidence will be there. Report by Stuart Bathgate Evening Times Sport June 3 Celtic playmaker David Turnbull bemoans free-kick decision that denied Scotland victory. Report by Matthew Lindsay Celtic playmaker David Turnbull last night admitted he was disappointed that Scotland had failed to record a morale-boosting victory over the Netherlands 
ahead of the Euro 2020 finals on his international debut. Turnbull was selected to start the friendly match against the Dutch in the Estadio Algarve after seven members of the national squad, Che Adams, Grant Hanley, John Fleck, David Marshall, John McGinn, Stephen O'Donnell and Nathan Patterson were ruled out by a positive COVID-19 test. The 21-year-old who was named PFA Scotland Young Player of the Year last month as a result of his outstanding displays for the Parkhead Club in the 2021 campaign performed maturely in Portugal. But the former Motherwell man who joined the Glasgow Giants in a record £3.25 million transfer back in August, was disappointed that Frank de Boer's side equalised in the 89th minute after he had been replaced by Billy Gilmer of Chelsea. He acknowledged that Memphis Depay, who had cancelled out Jack Henry's opener in the first half, had levelled with a free kick of the highest quality, but he felt that referee Vitor Ferreira of Portugal should not have awarded the set piece in the first place. Said Turnbull, we conceded a great free kick at the end and there is not much you can do about that. I am not sure if it was a foul or not, but yes, I felt we were hard done by. Asked about his first taste of international football, he added, I really enjoyed it. It is obviously a great achievement to finally get it under my belt. I did what I could to contribute. It is just about tempo and moving the ball quicker. If you make a mistake with the ball, you more or less get punished most times. But I tried to do my best and I felt I did that. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Time Sport, June 4 Lafferty and Broadfoot exit Kilmarnock Report by Mark Hendry Kilmarnock have confirmed the departure of four key stars following their relegation to the Championship. Kyle Lafferty, Kirk Broadfoot, Greg Kilty and Mitch Pinnock all leave Rugby Park this season. The club confirmed the news on their website, revealing that while recruitment continues in the background, they will also be bidding farewell to big players. Lafferty, despite the relegation battle, managed 13 goals for the Ayrshire men, and fellow former Rangers man Broadfoot was a stalwart for the club making more than 120 appearances over more than three years. Kilty, meanwhile, was an academy graduate and Pinnock netted five goals after joining from Wimbledon last season. Report by Mark Hendry Evening Time Sport, June 4 Wilson relaxed about permutations facing Glasgow Warriors in bid to reach Rainbow Cup final. Report by Stuart Bathgate. So how do Glasgow reach the final of the Rainbow Cup? The most relevant and realistic answer 
surely, is what they supposedly say in Ireland to tourists asking for directions. I wouldn't start from here. The real world journey from Scotland to Treviso, where the final will take place on Saturday the 19th, is straightforward enough. But to qualify for that trip, the Warriors need a convoluted set of circumstances to fall in their favour, starting tonight when they take on Leinster at Scotston. A simple win could conceivably be enough for Danny Wilson's side to finish top of the European table and thus go through to the final against the best South African side. On the other hand, even a bonus point win might not suffice. The one thing they do know for sure is that anything less than a victory means they are out of the running. Any sort of win will at least temporarily take the Warriors to the top of the 12-team table, where they will then have to wait for a week until the other teams in the running play their final games. The potentially decisive remaining fixture is in eight days' time, when leaders Benetton travel to Ospreys, knowing that any kind of win, and possibly even a draw, will be enough to get them into that final on their own home ground. Given the quality of the opposition his side face this evening, Wilson will not go for broke right from the start. He has a wild card on the bench, in the shape of Nico Matawalu, if he does need to chase a fourth try late in the game. But wisely, the head coach's initial aim will simply be to record any sort of win and to continue a good run of form that has seen his side win their last three games. Wilson said yesterday, after naming a starting lineup showing three changes from the one that began last week's match against the Dragons, the aim is to beat Leinster. If we beat them, we'll be sitting in pole position and then we've got to wait on other results. We may well need a bonus point as well. Things have got to go our way, let's put it that way. But what we're more focused on is that whilst mixing our squad, we've had three bonus point wins on the bounce. We've got our final home game of the season and we want to go out with a good performance. Wilson declined to say earlier in the week whether he would rest Xander Fagerson and Ali Price, Glasgow's two British and Irish Lions. But the way which he spoke about how much the pair had already contributed recently was a strong suggestion that they would indeed be told to sit this one out, and that is what has transpired. Enrique Pierotto starts at tight head prop in place of Fagerson, with Darcy Ray as backup, while George Horn replaces Price at scrum half with Sean Kennedy on the bench instead of James Doby, who has a slight injury. Wilson said of Fagerson and Price, it's very important after a long season 
that we get the balance of rugby right for those guys and for us. They both played really well in the two games they've played out of four recently and we stuck to that plan. Xander is a little bit banged up from last week so we don't want to risk something there that could have any risk to the ability of those guys to get on that plane to South Africa. The other change to the starting 15 is at Hooker, where Fraser Brown takes over from the inform George Turner, who is named among the substitutes, and like Matawalu, could well make a significant impact late in the game. Unless the Warriors do reach the final, it will be a last appearance in a Glasgow jersey for Adam Hastings, who is again named at full-back, as well as for Ray and Matawulu if they come off the bench. Report by Stuart Bathgate Evening Times Sport, June 4 Susan Wood raring to go at Scottish Women's Amateur Championship Report by Nick Roger Golf has a habit of teasing and tormenting the eyes. Those of us with a more weary, pessimistic approach to this game, for instance, tend to glimpse break-in putts that don't exist. We focus on potential hazards that really shouldn't be an issue. And instead of visualising crisp, clean, confident strikes, we simply see chaos, carnage and calamity at every turn. Perhaps it's time to get those anguished eyes tested, which is exactly where Susan Wood comes in. As a fully qualified optometrist, as well as a hardy perennial of the women's domestic golf scene, Wood is just as happy discussing retinal pigment epithelium as she is talking about 36 holes of stroke play qualifying at this week's Scottish Women's Amateur Championship. Like a lot of healthcare professionals after lockdown, my work has been crazy, gasped the 42-year-old Drumpelia stalwart. I've just finished 10 days in a row, but I felt a responsibility to help the profession catch up. Having cleared the decks at the opticians, Wood now has all eyes on golfing matters at Gullen. In a field headlined by talented teenager Hania Darling, who demonstrated her considerable potential with a fine victory in the St Rule Trophy last weekend, Wood is one of the more, shall we say, experienced companions at a celebrated old championship that continues to stir her senses. I do think I was the first player to enter this week's event, she said of her boundless enthusiasm. I was 17 when I first played in the Scottish Championship and I've probably played in 20 down the years. I've never missed the qualifying cut. For an old working lassie, that's not too bad. In an ever-changing golfing landscape, the career amateur is something that's almost as quaintly old-fashioned as a thatched roof.
There's not much for players like me to play in nationally due to the handicap limits and the need for world amateur ranking points. Added the plus one handicapper of the robust entry requirements these days. But county golf for me is a good standard and it's still a lot of good fun. An event like the Scottish Championship is a wee bonus. Golf in general during the stifling restrictions of the past year has been something of a bonus too for wood. I didn't work for six months in that first lockdown and it was stressful getting back with all the PPE and working closely with patients again, reflected Wood. I was definitely anxious about starting back, but golf was a real life saver. There was nothing better than taking to the course after work. Wood's competitive longevity continues to bring rewards. She won her third Lanarkshire County Championship title back in April, while she's been the Dumpelia Club champion a whopping 18 times. As a former captain of the Scotland girls team, and now in a similar role with the national women's side, Wood is always keen to see the emerging talent coming through and pass on her perils of golfing wisdom to a new generation. When I played my first Scottish Championship as a 10 handicapper, I played alongside Marjorie Ferguson, who was a real stalwart of Scottish women's golf, reflected Wood, who is now based in the cradle of the game in St Andrews. She was so encouraging, and I've always remembered that. I tried to do the same towards the younger players I play alongside. While some of her contemporaries, like her Drumpelia clubmate Claire Queen, enjoyed stints in the professional game on the ladies' European tour, Wood has always cherished the fact that golf has remained her passion, not her profession. I feel lucky to have golf in my life, but I deliberately chose not to have it as my career, said Wood, whose dad, Robin, played in the same Queen's Park football team as a certain Alex Ferguson back in the day. My dad always wanted me to go to university to get qualifications behind me. It was hard when my pals were off playing in golf events and I was studying, but I've always loved playing amateur golf. Whatever happens on the lovely links at Gullen this week, Wood will enjoy it. My only ever hole-in-one came at Gullen a few years ago, and there was plenty of champagne consumed after that. Who knows what my golf will be like this week, but I'm looking forward to my wee holiday. Report by Nick Roger Evening Times Sport June 7 Steve Clark says Billy Gilmer will be ready to play for Scotland at Euro 2020. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Steve Clark last night declared that Scotland are in perfect shape for their opening Euro 2020 match against the Czech Republic at Hamden a week today 
after they edged a 1-0 victory over Luxembourg in their final friendly. A Che Adams goal ensured that the national team recorded a narrow 1-0 victory over the Minnows, who were reduced to 10 men with the first half ordering off of Vahed Selimovic. Clark, whose team had drawn 2-2 with the Netherlands in Portugal on Wednesday night, admitted that he would have liked his players to capitalise on more of the chances they created in the final third. However, the Scotland head coach, who confirmed that Billy Gilmer, the Chelsea midfielder, was fine, despite having to leave the field after a physical challenge by Olivier Thule, is pleased with the condition of his squad. He said, The good news is that Gilmer is fine. We took him off as a precaution. The doctor will assess him over the next couple of days. But I spoke to Billy. He's a tough boy. He's from a Drossen, so he must be. He is fine, so that's good. But, but let's not make that the big story. The big story is we are now fully prepared for our first tournament in 23 years. So let's look forward to it. We are in a good place. We have had two defeats in 16 games. We have freshness in the squad. It was a good exercise and a good training camp. Two good friendlies and I can't wait for next week. The only outfield player not to feature in the pre-tournament friendlies was John Fleck, the Sheffield United midfielder who was forced to quarantine after testing positive for coronavirus in Spain last week. But Clark confirmed the former Rangers player was set to come out of self-isolation and would be in contention for the England game at Wembley on June 18. He said, he is up for consideration for the tournament. John will join us in the middle of next week. He will get the option when he comes out of quarantine to go home for 24 hours and see his family, or he can join us straight at the training camp. Because he's been in his room isolating, it would be a long shot if he is ready for the first game, but he will certainly be ready for the next game. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport June 7 Ian McCall on the 35 madcap days as Thistle marched to the League One title Report by James Kearney After the best part of four years of despair, disappointment and despondency it took just 35 days for Patrick Thistle's luck to change. It wasn't so long ago that Alan Archibald guided the Jags to a top six premiership finish, the club's highest final league position in decades. And yet, at the end of March, Thistle found themselves mired in mid-table in Scotland's third tier. After coming from two goals down to snatch a point away to East Fife at the start of April, some supporters had turned on manager Ian McCall. The latest season was just the latest 
in a long line of underwhelming campaigns and green shoots of progress were few and far between, they reasoned. Little did they know it then, but that point gained at Bayview would be the catalyst that sparked Thistle's League One title tilt. The following five games were won on the trot, without the Jags conceding a goal, and a wonder strike from Scott Tiffany in the sixth game away to Cove salvage a point that seemed so unlikely only minutes before the on-loan Livingston winger let fly. That teed up a do-or-die clash with Falkirk at Firhill, where the trophy's destination would be determined. Supporters tuned into the game, expecting a cagey affair, but what followed was entirely atypical of the club. Not only did McCall's men get over the line, they did it in the most uncharacteristic fashion, slamming five past the Bairns as they wrapped up the league in style. It was all very unlike Patrick Thistle, as McCall admits. He explained, It's not really like us, certainly not in my experience. When I was here before, we ran St Johnston close to the title. We have never won the Challenge Cup. We went up to Ross County and we were 2-1 up and we made a bit of an error. I won't say who. Then Liam Buchanan missed a great chance to put us through and then that's it. That's probably more us, I think. But listen, the togetherness and harmony from the players was just fantastic and we've got to harness that. The supporters, the directors, the staff, my staff, we've all got to harness that to keep moving forward. I am ecstatic that we won League One, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge cause for celebration at this club. If we win the championship, then it will be. But I think Zach Rudden was indicative of the turnaround. Stephen Bell, Scott Tiffany and Rudden were crucial and when Bell came in, I'm not saying Richard Foster got better because he was different class all season, but Darren Brownlee got better. He's the best centre-back in the league and as good as there is in the championship. It was a fairy tale ending to the season and it just kept getting better and better. Things didn't always look so rosy. For the majority of the campaign, Thistle had toiled to collect points and there was always a sense that the team were operating as less than the sum of their parts. McCall, however, is adamant that he saw the turnaround coming, even if it took a while for his grand designs to come to fruition. McCall said, When I first came in, I knew huge, huge changes were required. It's taken a wee while to get that togetherness and that spirit. There might not be many things I do well, but I do that well. Tactics and all that are very important in terms of finding the balance of the team, but the type of people that you are, that was the biggest change that needed made when I first came here, and it was a big, big, big one. The stop-start nature of the season made it hard. In the first half of the season, everyone was coming in for stick, no one more so than me, 
but I always felt, if I'm being really honest, that it was wrong. The amount of injuries we had and the amount of games where all were missing were that finishing touch. I always go back to the Dumbarton game in December. It finished nothing nothing, but seven nothing would not have flattered us. One of the things that always gave me belief was our performances against Falkirk on Boxing Day. They obviously went on a bad run at the end of the season, but we played them out there when we were supposedly not playing well and we drew 2-2. Their first goal was an absolute fluke from 20 yards and the boy was offside. We went 2-1 up and missed a penalty and then they equalised in the 88th minute even though we'd murdered them. I always reminded the players about that game. The only thing I didn't expect was to score 25 goals and concede two in eight games. That was beyond my wildest dreams. I have been on a few good runs with teams before, but to do it when the pressure's on and games are coming thick and fast, it was pretty remarkable stuff. During that late surge up the standings, McCall was leaving nothing to chance. Players were not put up for pre- or post-match press conferences, something this intrepid reporter can attest to, as the Thistle manager resolved to maintain his side's course. He admits that he felt the pressure when things weren't going well, even if he argued that it didn't affect him. McCall said, I didn't allow any players to do press, and I did hardly anything either, apart from the stuff I had to do with our own media guys. Everybody stayed really focused, and the games came so thick and fast. After two weeks you won five in a row, and you've not conceded a goal. It culminated in a great night up at Cove, where we scored a really good equaliser, and then the falling game at Falkirk tells its own story. This season, I think the chasing of managers has been really out of order. A couple of really good friends of mine got it tight, Derek McInnes and Neil Lennon, but I have been through that situation before. It's nothing new to me. You just have to hold your head, remain strong and have that belief. We managed to turn it around and pull through, but let's be honest, it wasn't looking great away to East Fife at half-time, but Rudden got a run out that day. Joe Cardo came in and changed the game, and Stephen Bell came into the team. Bell really got Brownlee to even better levels, and in the next seven games we won six and drew one, and only conceded twice. Bell played every minute, and Foster played every minute, which is incredible given their age. Within days of wrapping up the title, McCall was delighting supporters on the BBC Scotland airwaves as he questioned why he would ever need a CV again, as Thistle would be his final job. The comments understandably went down well with the club's fan base, given McCall's long-time association with the Maryhill side. But did he really mean them? 
or was he simply playing to the gallery? In years to come, will he really still be occupying the home dugout at Firhill? McCall laughed. I'll be here in 20 years, but I'll be sitting up the back of the stand. If there was something else I could do for the club after management, I'd do it if they'd have me. I never want to leave Thistle again. The first time I had to leave, I had to, because of my personal situation, which was really bad. But I got better, and it's the proudest thing I've ever done in my life, apart from my son. There might be a position where I can take 30% of Chief Executive Jerry Britton's workload, rather than leaving it all to him. But I still want to do this for a couple of years, that's for sure. Report by James Kearney Evening Times Sport, June 7 Kirsty Muir describes whirlwind year as Scott's teen makes herself forced to be reckoned with in the skiing. Report by Susan Egglestaff It is safe to say Kirsty Muir's last year has been unlike most teenagers. While her peers were homeschooling, lamenting the opportunity to go out and see their friends, and watching an abundance of Netflix, Muir was establishing herself as a force to be reckoned with in the world of skiing. The Aberdonian has long been touted as a real prospect in her chosen discipline of freestyle skiing, with particular highlights of her junior career being her medal-winning performances at the World Junior Championships and Youth Winter Olympic Games. But it is in recent months the 17-year-old has elevated herself from a junior skier with an abundance of talent to someone who can compete and beat the very best in the world. With the skiing season having recently concluded, Muir is currently at home in Aberdeen, reflecting on a year which saw her win her first World Cup medal secure second place overall in the World Tour and successfully complete one of the most testing tricks in the sport, a dub 12. Muir reveals she didn't have particularly lofty ambitions ahead of this season and admits such incredible success came as something of a surprise to her. Her silver medal at the World Cup in Aspen was just her fourth appearance on the highest tier of events in the skiing calendar, and having been the youngest athlete in the final, she admits a podium finish came as something of a shock to her, but she also possesses the self-belief that she is far from an imposter at the highest level. She says, I don't have any expectations ahead of the season, I just wanted to keep progressing, so I am really happy with how things went. All of these skiers I am up against inspire me so much, and so to be competing at such a high level with them is really cool. It's quite amazing. I used to watch them competing when I was young, so now to be up against them is pretty awesome. There's loads of moments when I think, 
This is crazy, but I'm also confident that I deserve to be here and I can compete at this level. Muir began skiing as a toddler, finding her feet on the local mountains and dry slopes alongside her family. Her early days were spent downhill skiing, but she quickly discovered it was freestyle skiing where her passion lay. Lockdown last summer was not a welcome development for Muir, who spent a prolonged period of time off the slopes, but she did, she says, manage to enjoy what was an unusually long spell at home. And the restrictions, which meant homeschooling has become commonplace over the past year, in fact helped the fifth-year pupil combine her academic work with her sport with more ease than in previous years. She says, I was quite disappointed when the season stopped, but at the same time, I knew it was the same for everyone, and so I just made the most of being at home and did workouts in my garden and did what I could to stay fit. I did enjoy spending time at home with my dogs and my family, and I'd been planning on taking a break last summer anyway, so I just tried to take as many positives from it as positive. It was just a case of trying to get the balance right between doing enough schoolwork as well as my skiing. It's definitely difficult doing both, but I know I've only got one more year of school and so I just need to push through. Muir will spend the coming months training both at home and in Europe ahead of the new season starting, with next year's Winter Olympics now firmly in her sights. The Games in Beijing are only nine months away, and while Muir knows qualification is a realistic possibility, she insists she is not putting undue pressure on herself to make Team GB. She says, to go to an Olympics at 17 would be amazing, and it means you've got so much time ahead of you. I try not to put too much pressure on myself, but everyone who goes to the Olympics wants to go there and do well. The youth Olympic experience was amazing, and I had so much fun so I would absolutely love to go and do that again. Muir is remarkably laid back about her progress through the sport, but she admits the thought of competing at this level for the next decade or more is thrilling. She says, What's really exciting is I have so much time now to build on what I've done this season and improve. It is definitely crazy to think I could do skiing as my career. It's exciting to think. A career as a full-time athlete may still seem somewhat surreal, but it also seems inevitable, and her success this year is likely only a taste of what is to come, says Susan Egglestaff. Evening Times Sport June 7. Kyle Lafferty mudslinging with Kilmarnock, not good look for either party. 
report by Mark Hendry. It has been an awfully messy weekend from a Kilmarnock standpoint. Owner Billy Bowie may have spat out his morning coffee when he read that former striker Kyle Lafferty's comments in the sports pages, presuming he wasn't reading the Evening Times. The Northern Irish striker made some relatively heavy claims that Killy made take-it-or-leave-it contract offers which afforded players just hours to decide on. He claimed he did not walk away as suggested, but rather he was thrown under the bus by the club for whom he scored 13 goals in a disappointing season where they were ultimately relegated to the championship. Lafferty revealed, My aim was to be part of the bid to bounce straight back to the Premiership next season, but the club have announced that won't be happening. The club spoke to my agent. He told them what I was looking for, and I was not asking for the earth or to give the boss, Tommy Wright, a heart attack. Lafferty's final sentence is one that Killy was especially frustrated to read, and it is obvious why that is the case after the club released a statement, something they insist they rarely do when it comes to specifics on cash and contract negotiation detailing the ex-Rangers and Hearts attackers' demands. We received a series of figures from his representatives which were four times higher than the sum he received towards the end of the 2021 campaign, Killy claimed. At this point we informed Kyle and his representatives that there was no possibility of agreeing to those terms which would have had a monumental impact on the allocated first-team budget for the season. Following further discussions and both parties remaining miles apart, it was clear that no deal could be struck and in order to continue our planning for 21-22, talks were brought to a close. Lafferty's suggestion that neither he nor his representatives were informed of the Ayrshire side's decision seems somewhat far-fetched that they failed after discussions to reply to explain their angle and confirmed they would not, could not afford the whopping salary increase that he and his agent wanted. Mudsling is really not a good look for either party and neither stands to gain much from it. Kelly obviously felt the need to clarify their position because, at the end of the day, the club will remain even after Lafferty and this controversial episode are in the rear-view mirror. If it is true that Lafferty fancied quadrupling his wages, you've got to credit the man's sense of humour for having the cojones to ask for such a hefty raise after one of the most frustrating seasons in the club's recent history, where they failed to stay in the top tier of Scottish football. 
he netted a decent return, but couldn't do the business to keep them in the Premiership. And credit too must go to Kelly for refusing to shift on their budget outlay for next season in the Championship. They may have plans to bring in a few new faces, but it is highly unlikely they will be offering the same dosh they might have offered had they stayed up. Another reason this particular situation is such a bizarre one. Us media types might quietly be hoping Lafferty pops his head out again to respond to the response. Column inches to fill and all that. But for the club, the supporters, and the player's own reputation, it is probably a better idea for all to simply move on. Tit for tat is not a good thing, especially after a relegation, says Mark Hendry. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.